But anyway, let's go ahead and go to Romans chapter 9 tonight. Romans chapter 9. And uh, we are going to be looking at a very important subject tonight that hopefully um, hopefully will be clear on and make sure that everyone uh, fully understands what I'm going to try to communicate. So Romans chapter 9 is where we're at. And just a little bit of review that is always very important when we're looking at Romans that we review things and make sure that we don't just isolate this chapter, that all these chapters are building on each other. And so we, we want to make sure we understand exactly what uh, is happening here, what Paul is trying to explain. Paul is not changing subjects right now. And Paul, uh, Paul, what Paul is about to do right now is he, he's about to give us an example of someone who is not saved. Because in Romans 1-8, through 8, we see Paul has been giving the nuts and bolts of everything involving salvation. And in chapter 8, he talks about two groups. One group is walking after the Spirit, meaning they are believing on Christ and trusting in His righteousness. The other group, Israel, is walking after the flesh, meaning they are trusting in their own righteousness and their keeping of the law. We talked about that last week and showed from context that's what it means. This is not just people living for lasciviousness. No, it's people trusting in the things of the flesh to get them to heaven. If you do that, you are going to miss the boat. It's not going to work. It, it, it's never worked for anyone. So, uh, Israel, for the most part, as a nation, was not saved. And it was because they were walking after the flesh or going after the works of the law. And so, while Paul ended chapter 8 in a glorious way stating that those who are walking after the Spirit, they have no condemnation and nothing, or, and, and there's nothing to fear, nothing that can separate them from the love of God. These are the people who are walking after the Spirit. Now we have a completely different attitude because he's about to look at some people who are walking after the flesh, who are trying to achieve salvation by the works of the law, Israel. So that's what he's doing right here. He didn't just all of a sudden decide, you know what? Let's change subjects now. I'm going to preach a new sermon. I'm going to talk about Israel. That's not what he does. Where most people, when they want to preach foolishness, you know, if they want to pre preach foolishness about Israel, they'll isolate Romans 9, 10, and 11 to make it mean whatever they need it to mean. Calvinists will isolate Romans chapter 9 to prove their Calvinism. But if we understand, Paul is continuing a thought here. And he, he just, just in a glorious way, spoke of the results of those who are walking after the Spirit. There's no condemnation. They are secure. Nothing can separate them from the love of God. But now we're about to look at a group, those who are walking after the flesh. If you are walking after the flesh, you're in trouble. There's gonna, it's, you don't have the same thing coming for you that those walking after the Spirit have. So now, in verse 1, and remember what he said in chapter 1. What do you say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel Paul preached was what the Jews needed, but unfortunately, as a whole, they were rejecting it. And so in verse 1, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing wit me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. 
And I have no doubt that Paul genuinely had this attitude of wishing himself to be accursed. I believe that was because Paul just had such a desire to be like Christ. And Jesus did that. Hey, we look at this story here, and I've heard preachers all my life, and I'm one of them. It's like, I'd never, I'd never be, say that for anybody. But you know what? Jesus became a curse for us, didn't he? Jesus became a curse for us. It says in Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, Jesus became a curse for us. Paul wanted to be like Christ. He's like, you know what? I could, if, if, if I could do it, I would be accursed for Israel. That's how he felt about them. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So again, Paul constantly expressed his desire to be like Christ. And you know what? I believe when he said this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and he said, My conscience bearing with me, I lie not in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, this is how I feel. Paul loved his kinsmen according to the flesh. He loved his nation. For There's no doubt about it. And it's important. It's also very important. I want you to make a mental note. I know we're Baptists here. And we isolate scriptures and can't usually talk about, you know, focus on more than three verses at a time. But I need you to be able to do this in the next couple of weeks because this little point here is going to be very important when we get to Romans chapter 11. But notice how he mentioned the continual sorrow he had in his heart. Okay? Now, where are we in the timeline according to the Bible? All right. Well, this, Romans was written in roughly 57 or 58 AD. Only 12 years before the destruction of Jerusalem. And, in, and we are currently, if we're in the book of Acts, we're in Acts chapter 20, and it's in Acts chapter 21. After Paul writes Romans, where Paul decides to go to Jerusalem, and everyone's telling him not to. But you know, and he, remember what they said, you're going to be bound. And he said, hey, I'm both ready to be bound. He's like, I'm ready to die. You know why? Because he could wish himself were a curse for his people. And even though he was being warned not to go, we went through all this when we went through the book of Acts. Paul didn't care. He didn't count his own life dear. He wanted to see his people saved. He was seeing souls saved everywhere he went. But he wanted Israel saved. He wanted his people saved. And he had a continual sorrow in his heart because he cared about them so much. Remember that. Don't forget that. Remember where we are in the timeline uh, according to the book of Acts and historically and all this is going to be very, very important when we get to chapter 11. So just a little bit of a teaser right there. But verse 4, he said, Who are Israelites? These are the people that he's wishing himself to be accursed for. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. And pertaineth, it means made for. It's like a woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garments. You know, a woman should not wear clothing that was made for, designed for a man. That's an abomination for them to do something like that. And so understand the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law. Who is it made for? He said it was pertained to Israel. It was made for Israel. Keep that in mind. Because Paul says they don't have it, but yet the Gentiles do have it. You know what that tells me? 
we have, we can claim the promises that were to Israel. Oh, those promises were originally for Israel. I know that. Paul told us that very thing. But he also said we have it and they don't. So, a little important fact right there. Okay, The dispensations are right when they say those promises were to Israel. But unfortunately, they ignore what Paul taught, and that is that Israel's not getting them, but we are. Now, that, now when we say things like that, that will get us accused of saying the prophecies of God failed or that we're calling God a liar or something like that. Now, let me just say, while those are often dishonest things people are saying, and based, sayings that they're doing, those are based on ignorance of doctrine, ignorance on what we teach, or maybe because we don't always do the best job teaching. That's possible too. Sometimes we fail to communicate, and I'm hoping I can communicate something very clear about Israel tonight. I know you all know what I mean, but hopefully the way I'm going to preach this tonight, it will be clear to all what I mean when I'm, when I'm talking about Israel. But it's important that we, uh, we get these things right. Because the objections are, are legit. And, and we'll see this here in just a second because Paul is going to address an, a common objection that still comes up when you claim that we have the promises that were made for Israel. Okay? I, I get the objection, but Paul covered this. We've got it. If you all weren't, if the dispensationalists weren't, weren't so busy getting taken to the woodshed by Calvinists with Romans chapter 9, you know, they could probably actually figure this chapter out. But unfortunately, it's like, who are they going to say was right? The Calvinists or those replacement people? And uh, they don't like either of us. But uh, it's okay. We're loyal to the Scriptures here. So verse 5, he says, Whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Who did Christ come for concerning the flesh? Israel. That's what it says right here. So it is true. Christ came for the Jews. The law was given to the Jews. They had the oracles of God, all those things. It's it's all true. Yet Paul is saying they are still not saved. This could lead one to thinking that maybe the word of God was not fulfilled. And make sure we get this. You get this because we constantly get accused of teaching God broke his promise to Israel. So watch what Paul says next. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect. Hey, don't misunderstand what I'm saying right here. The word of don't don't accuse me of saying God's promise failed. Don't don't accuse me of that. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. You know what he's about to do right here in this next statement. I have heard some weird twistings of this verse, but it's very clear what he's doing right here. He's he's making a clarifying statement is what he's doing. He's clarifying something because obviously while the promises of God are all good and can be counted on it is possible that we can have a misunderstanding of the promises of God. And so Paul is about to clear things up when it comes to the promises of God because some people had the wrong idea. It's possible for that to happen. So he says, For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall they see be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. Now, some of you might have seen that discussion I did the other day with another pastor. And the way he interpreted this passage is when he's saying they are not all Israel that are of Israel, what he's saying is you have saved Israelites like Paul who no longer are of Israel. 
And I, I, I think you just made that up. I, I think I've never heard anybody interpret it that way before. But people will interpret it any way other than what we're saying, just because it reveals too much error. But let, let me make sure I am clear about what I believe here. I'm going to use a visual illustration that I'm sure you all understand and to reveal what Paul's talking about. Now, I titled tonight's message, Israel, Israel, and Israel. All right? Now, why am I doing that? Well, because I want to talk about three different Israels. First off, we have this Israel, the Israeli flag. This represents a nation, a physical nation. Okay? Not just a geography, but a physical nation. A nation is not a nation with no people. Okay? So this, this represents the nation of Israel. I understand they didn't have this flag back in... Paul's day, but we're going to make this to represent the physical nation of Israel. We also have a bunch of uh, Jews at the Wailing Wall. Okay, these are this is Israel in the flesh. Okay, these are the descendants of Abraham, the physical children of Abraham. You could also call them Israel. These are the citizens of, of Israel. These are people of Israel. These are individuals that are also of this physical nation, okay? But then, we also have Jesus, Abraham's seed, okay? Abraham's seed, though not seeds as of many, like that, but Abraham's seed, the one to whom the promises were made. Those who are in Christ are Abraham's seed. So we have this Israel too, that we're talking about, okay? And so Paul, he's wanting to make a clarifying statement here because of the fact that, you know, people are, Paul's claiming that this nation is not saved. He wants this nation to get saved. Picture this being an American flag. All right, do we not love our nation? Of course we love our nation. Do we want our nation to be saved? Of course we want our nation to be saved. You know, I don't want America to cease to exist. I can't think of another country in the world I'd rather go to. It's okay to love your country. It's all right to do that. And Paul loved his nation, even though it was a mess. But they were not saved. And so Paul wants people to understand, it's not as when I'm saying Israel's not saved, even though the covenants, everything, it was made for them. Don't think the Word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel that are of Israel. You know what he's saying? They are not all of Israel that are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham, the descendants, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not, wait, children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. He's making a clarifying statement. All three Israels are spoken of in this chapter and it's not hard if you're not trying to force bad doctrine into the chapter to figure out what they are. But often, when, whenever you start talking with a the dispensationalist, they start, I, think, I almost think talking past you on purpose. You know, I, I think that's what they try to do. They'll find a passage where it's clearly talking about this. You know, and there are passages where it's clearly talking about this Israel. Oh, you're saying that's Jesus? So you're saying Jesus killed Jesus? Like, no, that, that's not what we're But then, if, you know, you're trying to talk about this Israel. You know, and they, they'll do things like that. I think a lot of it's probably on purpose. It's not right. It's not fair. But it's a common tactic that people do. And so, uh, don't ever let anyone tell you the Word of God didn't take effect. Don't ever let 
anyone tell you that God didn't keep his promise. But what people often do misunderstand promises that God made. And so Paul, at this point, he fully understands the promise and knows that the promise isn't just automatic just because someone descends from Abraham. He understands that just because you're one of these guys that descend from Abraham, it doesn't mean you have claim on the promises. Paul understands that at this point. But these are Paul's brothers. Paul used to be with these guys, but he got saved. But they're still his brothers, physically speaking. They're still of his nation. Paul was a citizen of Israel. He was also a Roman citizen too. He kind of had a dual citizenship. So Paul still loves these people. And and now here's where we need to start making sure when we talk about these things, we're using very precise language so we don't get confused. And I do. I think I think we get this, but often people don't understand what we're saying. And it could be their fault, but it could be ours. Let's be clear about what we're communicating. So we do. We have the three Israels. And so now what Paul's about to do, he is about to clarify how God's word will be fulfilled towards Israel. Okay? Unfortunately, because pre-tribbers, Zionists are so wrong, and because we are taking them to the woodshed so bad. Unfortunately, they just typically go into insults. They go into misrepresentations. And, you can't, and they won't even acknowledge what you're trying to say. They can't even communicate back to you, okay, so this is what you're saying. And they can't even accurately do that. It's like if they accurately describe what you're saying, they'd have to admit, oh, there's probably something to it. But they, they, just, they don't want to do that. And so, uh, verse 9, okay, and watch how Paul focuses on God's words. He focuses on them very closely. Everybody uses God's word, but not everyone is honest with God's words. And it's important that we are honest with God's words. So let's, let's watch what he does. He says, for this is the word of promise. Why did he say this? Because they had the wrong understanding. Okay? Don't let pre-tribbers try to act like, and don't say, don't you do it to them too. Don't go saying to them, you think God broke his promises. I mean, are, is anybody really going to say that? I think God lied. Nobody's going to say that. Okay? I don't think pre-tribbers think God lied. We don't think God lied. But sometimes we can have the wrong idea about what he meant. And they obviously, a lot of people had the wrong idea what God meant. So Paul said, no, for this is the word of promise. He's doing the same thing he did in Galatians chapter 3. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. He, he, what did he do? He emphasized the word. Hey, it's not plural, it was singular. And so he wasn't talking about descendants. He was talking about Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy, not descendants. Okay? Paul was dealing with dispensationalists back then that had an Israel-based prophecy. He's like, no, it's Jesus-based. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He's doing the exact same thing. And so here, he says, for this is the word of promise. For Sarah, or at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. God promised Abraham a son through Sarah. Ishmael was not the fulfillment of God's promise, was it? God told Abraham, you're going to have a son. But he also said he was going to have a son through Sarah. When it didn't look like it was going to work out, what did Abraham do? He tried to help God out, and then he went and had a child with 
he, with uh, Hagar, Ishmael. But you know what? God said, no, that's not what I promised. Well, I have a son. Yeah, but I promised a son through Sarah. That's more specific. Okay? Ishmael was not the fulfillment of God's promise. And not only that, not only this, but when Rebekah had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. Okay? Now, was Ishmael Abraham's seed? Was he his descendant? Of course he was. So what about with Isaac? Okay? It says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. God's choice would also be through Jacob and not Esau. Even though Jacob is of Isaac, or Esau is of Isaac, Isaac even liked Esau better than Jacob. But God said, no, I choose Jacob. It's not about all the descendants. It's about election. It's about who God has chosen. God did not choose all the descendants of Abraham. God chose Isaac. God did not choose all the descendants of Isaac. God chose Jacob. You all understand that? And you know what? God changed Jacob's name to Israel and God did not choose all the descendants of Jacob. He chose Jesus. He chose Jesus. That's who he chose. Not to get ahead of myself. But ver- so it's about God. It's, it's always been about God's chosen. It's never been about a race. It's never been about a bloodline. It's always been about God's chosen. So it says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. And there is such a thing as the doctrine of election, but not like the Calvinists teach. And and here is the doctrine of election in a nutshell. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But God illustrated throughout the Old Testament how he chose a spiritual seed over a physical. You have Adam, which was the son of God, who was of the flesh. But then you have Jesus that was the son of God that was of the spirit. You have Cain, the firstborn of the flesh. You have Abel that God chose over Cain, the older brother. You have Isaac over Ishmael. You have Jacob over Esau. You have Joseph that's preferred over his other brethren. You have Ephraim chosen over Manasseh. With the prodigal son, you have the younger brother versus the older brother. We see that throughout the Bible. This is the theme throughout the Bible. What's God doing? You know why? Because the natural comes before the spiritual. There is a physical birth before there is a spiritual birth. So we have Adam before you have Jesus. And, and the, the older brother always represents the flesh. The younger represents promise. That's a theme throughout the Bible. You know, so, I'm uh, not going to go into all the examples of that. But verse 12, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. That's that theme there. Younger always triumphs over the older. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. God chose or preferred Jacob over Esau. Why? Not because of works, according to verse 11, but by promise. God said, this is the one that the promise is to. And so, verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. See, you might think, well, that's not fair. But God is always righteous, and Paul is about to explain why. Now, what Calvinists teach from this passage right here makes no sense at all. 
But what Paul will teach in the next three chapters not only makes perfect sense and harmonizes with all the Bible, but it also, this is the amazing thing, the Calvinists will literally use this verse to just prove that God has damned certain people to hell and that your little baby that you have there, you better hope it's one of the elect and not one of them that God just chose for hell. So I don't know, that doesn't sound very good. Who are you to say anything against God about that? And then they'll, they'll use Romans 9 to do that. It's, it's such a wicked, blasphemous teaching. Because here's the thing. If Calvinists would get their faces out of Romans 9 and read all of chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11, they will see, and we will see when we get to chapter 10 and 11, that this is not even a passage that's just horrible towards Israel. He's actually going to go, and when he gets to chapter 11, he is showing this amazing mystery of God's love and how he still made a way for Israel to be saved. So they use this passage here to teach some people are just damned and there's nothing they can do about it. And that's not what the Bible is teaching at all. That is, that's not even close. God is showing that God has always chosen those of the Spirit, those of promise, over the physical. The physical are dead meat. You know what he's about? I don't want to get ahead of myself. You know what Paul's about to teach? That this nation was raised up for destruction. Don't want to get ahead of myself. This was raised up for destruction. You know what else he's going to teach later, though? That these people can become a part of this. These people that are of this nation, that are heading for destruction, it is God's will, it is God's choice to destroy this. Paul didn't want to see this destroyed. But God chose, the potter chose to destroy this. And you say, oh, that's terrible. You know, and so Calvinists are just like, man, yeah, that's, that's just terrible. You know, individuals, damn to hell, and there's nothing they can do about it. But no, Paul's going to go on to show that these people who are of this nation can switch and they can become a part of this. So, I'm t- and we're going to see that as we go through these chapters. Calvinists are dead wrong. I mean, it's laughable that Calvinists go to Romans 9 to prove election. This is their main chapter to prove election, and it doesn't prove anything. It doesn't resemble anything that they're talking about. It is unbelievable that Calvinists, they put themselves out as these smart, brilliant people, and they teach these damnable doctrines like election the way they do, and they use Romans 9 that clearly is teaching a beautiful story about how God can still save these people. People who are of this doomed nation can still be saved and become a part of this. And Calvinists somehow, out of that beautiful story, out of this beautiful passage, teach your baby might be doomed to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. What is wrong with these people? I mean, I'm, you know what? I'm not here to talk about Calvinism tonight, but Calvinism is wicked. Calvinism is not Christianity. It is not biblical. It does not deserve respect. And there's a lot of Baptists, non-Calvinist Baptists out there always talking about their Calvinist brethren and they're so respectful to Calvinists because Spurgeon was a Calvinist. They don't deserve respect. It is not a respectable position. I, have, I, I, I do not respect that belief system at all. 
I have more respect for Zionists, I have more respect for pre-tribbers than I do Calvinists. Zero respect from Calvinists. That you could take after we go through these chapters and you see what the Bible is clearly teaching, and to think that they can pull babies, can unelect babies are going to go to hell from this is unbelievable. You want to, that, it almost makes me believe in total depravity and that Calvinists are just totally depraved. That's what it makes me think about them. But I still don't believe total depravity the way they teach it. Not, not even close. But there's, they're, they're, I'm starting to think some elements are true when you just think that when they can concoct that wicked of a doctrine from this beautiful passage of Scripture. Blows, blows my mind. And if you all want to know how I really feel about Calvinists, talk to me after church. But anyway, verse 15. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Sorry, your little kid, you know, might be going to hell. You know, brother Sean, your twins, you know, brother, you know, God might have picked one of them for hell and the other one for heaven. Who are you to say God's unrighteous? Listen, all that's the, all he's doing is saying. God chose this over this. That's what he's teaching right there. Paul loved this. Paul absolutely loved this. But God chose this over this. This is the promise. This is the flesh. And these guys can pick whatever one they want. It's called free will. Trigger the Calvinists with that phrase right there. They don't, they don't like that. It says, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. God has already chosen who will he have, he will have mercy on. God has chosen to have mercy on Israel. This Israel. One of promise. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now, this statement obviously couldn't be more true. But again, somehow a Calvinist reads this and they look at individuals and assume it's God's desire to save some and damn others at complete and total random according to God's will. But God chose those of the flesh be damned, those of the spirit be saved. That's what God chose. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? So, all right, Calvin, Calvinists back then too. I mean, can you go against God's will? Irresistible grace? Right. Nay, but O man, who, but who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and the other unto dishonor? And because Calvinists ignore the first part of the chapter, again, they apply it to individuals. But if you want to know the vessels of honor... It's these. You want to know the vessels of dishonor? It's this. Okay, that God, God raised up both. God raised up Jesus from the seed of David. Okay, this, this came from Israel. This descended from Abraham. This came from Israel. God protected Israel. Israel was the apple of God's eye. God called His Son out of Egypt. Why? Because God was waiting for this. Because this is what God chose. This is what God raised up. God's kingdom will be made up of all those who are in Christ. But you know what else came from Abraham? You know what else descended from Abraham? This also did, too. God also raised this up. But God raised this up for destruction. Paul didn't like that. Okay? Paul didn't like that. 
But who is he to say against God? God formed both of these. It's okay that Paul loved this. Don't let people don't let people shame you into not liking your country. Obviously, we're disgusted with our country. We still love them, you know. But you know, even though we hate what they're doing, you know, we we still love our country. We want the best for it. We want people to be saved, and we'd love to see a revival in this country, you know. And it's probably not going to happen. But you know, that's why we're just we're just thankful. No matter what happens in this country, we still got this. While the American flag is not preserved. This is preserved. This is guaranteed. It will last forever. So, um, so national Israel was going down and nothing that Paul could do would change that. Nothing could change the fact that this Israel, it was going down 12 years later and it would be history. Okay? But that didn't change the fact that Paul wanted to get these people he wanted to get as many of these as he could to become a part of this. Paul was doing everything he could. And that's what we're doing. You know, we're not necessarily really trying that hard to save America. We're just trying to get some Americans to become a part of this. That's our main thing we're doing. And that's why we don't focus a, whole, focus a whole lot on politics and stuff like that. Because we've kind of given up <laughs> on the country. But we've not given up on souls. We've not given up on souls. We're not going to stop on that. And so... so Nationalism was going down, but that didn't mean ethnic Israels, Israelis or individual Jews could not be saved and become a part of the Israel of promise through Christ. That, so, destruction, desolations were determined on national Israel. That, just like God told Daniel, the angel told Daniel, desolations are determined on, on this nation. But you know what? While desolations and destruction was determined on this, hell was not necessarily determined on these. There was, there was still an opportunity. There was still hope for individual Jews. That is, that is crystal clear when we get into the next two chapters. It's crystal clear. We, we, we always need to look at these passages as a whole. So he says, What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Okay, that's what this is. If you are a part of this nation, or back then, if you were a part of this nation, you were headed for destruction. Without a doubt. Because this, this represents the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. National Israel, which is probably includes some of these guys. Okay? They, they were heading for destruction. So verse 23, and then he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. And again, the vessels of mercy that are a part of this, that includes Jews and Gentiles. And in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We don't, we don't even worry about that anymore. And that's why it's a red flag when somebody comes along and says, I'm a Messianic Jew. Okay, you know, are you saved? That's what's really important. If you're a Jew, we don't really care. Okay? You know, just like we have a bunch of freaks always wanting to go around identifying themselves with their sexual orientation, what, what is wrong when you have a Christian that wants to identify themselves with their race? When that has nothing to do with salvation. You know, who, I don't go around, I'm a white Christian. You know, people think I was a white supremacist if I did that. But Jews can do that. And then Christians, oh, that counts as like two. 
That's probably too low of a number right there. Like, no, I mean, hey, we're thankful for anybody to get saved. Thankful for anybody to get saved. But uh, you know, a Jewish soul is worth just as much as a Gentile soul. I know that sounds anti- very anti-Semitic, and a lot of people are going to be offended by that. But I believe that. <laughs> and I, I, think it, I, think it's, I think it's true. So, verse 22. What if God will... Oh, I already read that verse. Verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessel of mercy which he hath foreprepared unto glory... Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. You see, this this Israel, okay, this one right here, whom God hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Any of these people got saved, they're in this. Any Gentiles get saved, they're in this. So it, that those included in spiritual Israel include ethnic Jews and Gentiles. Verse twenty-five. As he saith also in Osi, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. And I wish I had time to, uh, you know, we could spend some time in Hosea, but this was a prophecy that was given to the northern kingdom of Israel. That, uh, this was something that was before the Babylonian captivity, during the time of the Assyrian captivity. You had the northern kingdom of Israel of the ten tribes, they got taken captive before the southern kingdom of Judah uh, and the, the two tribes. And they were, they were a lot more widely dispersed. They, became, they were the ones that kind of became the Samaritans where they, where they were. Their uh, lineage was a lot more polluted. These people, even during this time of Paul, were still kind of scattered around the earth during this time. But you know what? God had prophesied, I'm going to call them my people, which are not a people. And Paul right here in Romans is including Gentiles in that promise. He's including Gentiles in that promise that God made to the northern tribe of Israel. Not the Jews of Judah, but the northern tribe of Israel, those lost tribes that had been scattered abroad and were still scattered during that time. That's another thing that people don't fully understand. and I I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, but you did. During the time of Christ and during Paul's day, you had the Jews of Judah of the southern kingdom. They were like the purebred Jews. But you also had the tribes that were scattered abroad. They were still considered Jews. They still had certain uh, ability to go to the temple and things like that. But they weren't like the Pharisees. They weren't the important ones. They were, they were, kind, of a, they were kind of a lower class. They were still better than Gentiles. You know, they were, better, they were a little better than Samaritans. But at, at the same time, um, you know, that, those, the Jews... They were, they were kind of like the, the purebred. They were like those, I don't think we have too many of these people around, but remember in those old movies, you'd have all those rich people always talking about their ancestors that came over on the Mayflower, like that made them more purebred Americans than everybody else. And that's kind of how it was then during that time. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I get it, you're Jews too, but you know, we're, we're, or, you know you're, you're of Israel, but we're Jews. You know, we're of Judah. We're the one, our line didn't get polluted like yours did. You know, we were the ones that we stayed closer to the things of God and we're better than even the rest of you Israelis. And so that's another subject for another day. But it's something a lot of people don't understand that was going on during that time. But verse uh, 27. So it says, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Hey. Okay? And why is he bringing this up? Because it was never going to be all the descendants. 
it would only ever be a remnant. It was never everyone. He's already covered that. Ishmael didn't count. Esau didn't count. It's those of promise. There would always only be a remnant. It says, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. Why is he saying this? Well, first off, there were many times that Israel deserved to be wiped out like Sodom and Gomorrah. But God didn't wipe them out. You know why? God always left the remnant because they were the apple of his eye. But why were they the apple of his eye? Because of the seed. God, God protected them until the seed should come. Deliverance for Israel. Deliverance for mankind has to come through Israel. It had to come through that promised seed that God promised way back in the Garden of Eden. And God promised Abraham, you know what? I'm choosing you. And I'm choosing, and, I, and God said, I'm choosing him because I know him. I know that he will command his children after him. God needed a nation that could survive until the time of Israel came. And but, uh, throughout time, we see God giving the law and how law was added because of transgression until the seed should come to, the, to whom the promises were made. Why didn't God give Abraham all that law? Well, during Abraham's time, they didn't need that law that much but after all their disobedience after all the terrible things that were going on because we see a lot of sin just with jacob's 12 sons there were some major sins with those guys they were never going to make it as a people they were never going to survive until the seed should come they were going to be like sodom and gomorrah unless god intervenes and does something and so god constantly intervened god constantly protected them god gave them a law god did miracle after miracle even though Israel as a whole, there was, pro, there was probably way more Jews from the Old Testament that went to hell than went to heaven. For sure. But at the same time, there was always a remnant until that seed should come to whom the promises were made and that seed came. His name was Jesus Christ. And so it said, he, um, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon earth even as I said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed. They always had a seed. And guess what? Boy, just, just yesterday, I had somebody quoting Hal Lindsey again, who did not watch my video apparently, and talking about just the miracle of the Jews' survival and how they've been able to preserve their... And, and you know what? And a lot of the stuff he was saying was the stuff I covered on today's podcast. And so I, I had literally already debunked every one of these arguments he was making uh, on a podcast that just hadn't been released yet. But he was talking about what an amazing thing. Folks, they can't prove their lineage. They never have proved their lineage. Here's the proof. Okay? A guy with a beard and a funny looking hat says, we can prove our lineage. We really do descend from Abraham. We have the proof. And you know what? We're not allowed... To question that, just like if some dude comes up and like, yeah, I identify as a woman. We're supposed to act like they're a woman. And they, they don't have any proof. But because it fits people's theology for them to have proof, they just believe them. But nobody's ever showed the proof. Nobody's ever showed the proof. The proof is not there. It doesn't exist. But yet they continue to say it. But understand, they, the seed that was promised we do have the proof of that lineage. That's why we have the genealogies in the Bible. Why do you think the genealogies are in the Bible? Well, that's boring. God's showing that He kept His promise. 
Because God promised them a seed that should come. And so we do. We have the lineage of Christ on both sides, from Mary and Joseph. It has it in Matthew. It has it in Luke. Why did it include those things? Because these are who the promises are to. They were to Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And so we look to Christ for all things. And unfortunately, most of these people have rejected Christ. And so as a result, they're not getting any of the promises. But in the meantime, you've got a bunch of Gentiles who are believing on Christ and now they're getting all those things that were promised to the seed. And yet, somehow, people are still acting like, these are the chosen people. These are who the promises are to. You think God broke His promise. No. Jesus proves God kept His promise. And Jesus is still here. And I... and. Listen, even, please nobody take this the wrong way. Please nobody isolate what I'm about to say. Theoretically, theoretically, if Hitler would have exterminated all Jews from the earth, theoretically, do you know what? The promise still would have been kept because guess what? There's one Jew you can't get. The one that the promises were made to. The one who is the heir who inherited all things. And we are joint heirs with Him. And even if He kills all of us, we're going to rise one of these days. And all those of Israel in the past are going to rise one of these days. And we're going to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom. But you know what? The children of the kingdom are going to be thrust out into outer darkness. Where there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's what's going to happen to them. So, verse 30, What should we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to the righteousness. Even the righteousness, which is of faith. We're back to chapter 8. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. This is the tie into chapter 8. Because Gentiles got in by walking after the Spirit and Israel didn't make it because they walked after the flesh. They tried to achieve righteousness through the law. The Gentiles didn't do that. The Gentiles knew they couldn't do it. The Gentiles just believed on Christ. They just trusted Him. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. This is all connected, folks. This is all connected. What did Paul say in chapter 1? The gospel is the power of God to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So to summarize what we've covered so far in Romans, Paul starts off with the gospel, how it's believing on Christ that saves. In chapters 1 through 3, he covers the sinfulness of man and how all comes short of God's glory. In chapter 4, he shows how salvation is by believing and not by works. And he proves that from the Old Testament Scriptures. In chapters 5 through 8, he's showing the logic of everything he has said because the reality is salvation by the law requires all of the law to be followed and that can't be done because our flesh is too sinful. And working for your own righteousness, that can only be done in the flesh. But because the flesh is too sinful and working for your own righteousness can't be done, we must go after the Spirit by believing on Christ. And so chapter 9, chapter 8, Paul ends it 
showing the end result of those who have walked after the Spirit and believed on Christ. No condemnation. Nothing can separate you from the law of God. Chapter 9, he shows, he's showing us the results of those who walk after the flesh and he's basically saying they're dead meat. They're the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. And don't, don't think that the Word of God has not taken effect because they are not all Israel that are of Israel. That, that's what he's saying. No, the promise is... Let's, let's look at the word of promise. It's more specific. It's not about descendants. It's not about everybody that shares ancestry like these people. It's about promise. And he gives examples and he shows that but, and makes it... I mean, I think it's real clear. I think you got to go get brainwashed by Schofield and Larkin and Darby and Rucktards to get anything but what we just taught from this chapter. And in the meantime... Old IFB is going to keep losing guys to Calvinism. Just saw, I just saw this week, some other guy had to come off the mission field because, you know, or, or he had to resign his church because he has now accepted a Reformed theology and you know, no longer believes what he taught. And, you know, I mean, good for him for stepping down and not trying to transition the church into apostasy. But at the same time, too, I get so frustrated when I watch dispensationalists get their clock cleaned by Calvinists. Because we should be able to clean the Calvinist clock on this. And when, when you preach a truth, it shows the demented minds of these people. And there's, it's not biblical at all. So we must go after the Spirit by believing on Christ. So chapter 9, it's showing us a nation that was trying to be righteous had failed. And in the next chapters, this is what's so amazing and just what makes me just hate Calvinism even more than I already do. And, I, and after I preach on this next week, I'm going to hate Calvinism a little more. After I preach on the week, uh, chapter 11, I'm going to hate Calvinism. The more I learn about the Bible, the more I hate Calvinism. And it's like, well, do you hate Calvinists or do you hate Calvinism? It's starting to be both. <laughs> starting to, but Paul's going to be showing how people like this, who are currently the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction, in an amazing way that only the grace of God and the mind of God can come up with, they can still become a part of this. Not, not, everyone, not everybody from here is going to become a part of this. It's, but, let me tell you, everyone that, of these guys that are of this, when judgment comes, and it came, they're dead. They're doomed. They're in trouble. And that happened, and we'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. So that's why I call this Israel, 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 and Israel. You, you can call all of them Israel. We know what the Bible's talking about. It's very clear. And so hopefully this was a help tonight. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for uh, the clarity of your word. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to be successful in just getting this message out, Lord. It's just sad to see so many churches confused on this subject. It's so sad to see Baptists uh, converting to or apostatizing into things like Calvinism. And I pray, Lord, you'll help Baptists to have an awakening when it comes to the truth of this subject. They'll start preaching these things right. They'll repent of their uh, loyalty and uh, to men and uh, surrender to the clear teaching of your word in these areas. In your name we pray. Amen.